Joined Bye. by House Speaker Pat Grassley of New Hartford. Talked about the latest here in the Iowa legislature. Pat, first of all, thanks for taking a little bit of time here. Some legislation that passed here within the last couple of weeks involving the uh, school choice bill that ultimately was signed into a law. That was something that has been controversial here um, in the Iowa legislature. That's going to allow for public funding to be used for uh, private education. Can you talk about your reasons for supporting this bill that uh, ultimately was signed into law? And I guess maybe some uh, background information on that, if you'd like as well. Yeah, and I think that uh, that that piece of legislation has been discussed uh, within the legislature the last couple of years. Um, you saw it be a big uh, focus of the campaign last year, and I think Iowans spoke pretty loud and clear, uh, especially with the governor using that as one of her main reasons for, and one of her main pieces of her reelection campaign. And I think we saw Iowans really come out and show that they wanted to make sure that there was more control uh, of their children's education. And what this bill really ultimately does is allows for $7,600 to leave and follow the student. This this bill was um, was designed and is intended to make sure we empower, <clears throat> excuse me, empower parents to be able to make what decision is right for their student. We also included a piece that's different from last year, where if a kid does leave the school, um, roughly $1,200 will stay in that school district based on where the student resides, which is actually a big change in any schools that actually have any impacts currently from uh, students going to private education, this actually could be a net for them because right now they get nothing for those kids even though they may live in their school district. But I think ultimately the focus of this legislation was to make sure we empowered parents and students to make the choice that was right for them. And um, you know, right now we have about 30,000 kids uh, enrolled in private education across the state. This bill projects using some models that you look and see across the country in other states up to about 40 to 45,000 kids so this isn't going to be a mass exodus from public schools. However, it will give the opportunity for parents to either be able to continue or choose to uh, send their child to whatever institution they feel is appropriate. So some of the criticism of this bill has been brought about because private schools aren't necessarily subject to all the same requirements as public schools are, such as, you know, how they're spending money. They don't even have to, you know, publish how their money is being spent and also the fact that they're not required to accept every student that enrolls, you know, among some of the pieces of criticism. What are some of your responses to some of that criticism that has been brought about here about this? Yeah, and and one of the things we have to be mindful of, uh, the public school system does get additional resources to take uh, and because a, lo a lot of kids with uh, uh, higher needs are the ones that are the focus of one of those pieces there uh, that you just touched on. And I'm always mind we always really remind ourselves that our public school systems do get uh, extra dollars to be able to educate those kids. One of the things that I think if we're going to incentivize more um, uh, opportunities is we would have to look at obviously having that money that it currently goes to the public schools, would that be tied to that student as well? And I think ultimately, what this bill did, and, and I think we have to be mindful of this, this isn't the state appropriating money directly to any sort of institution, uh, whether it's religious or non-religious, uh, private, non-accredited schools. This this is money that goes to the, to the account, kind of like a 529 that's set up in that child's name. And if they choose to utilize, or if they use it, um, that money at the end of the process, if it's not all used, will actually come back to the state. So this really is about empowering the parents and when that money flows from the state into this account, um, I think you're going to have, because uh, other states are doing this, it's going to be well managed. It's kind of like I said, I use the 529 as an example because I think a lot of Iowans know what that is and know what it's about. And I think that that has been run very well 
and is not full of any sort of uh, corruption or misuse of funds. And so we see it using it similarly. And the other thing I would say is the accountability that really will exist is for the parents who, if they don't feel that the product is that's being delivered, if it's not in the public school system, um, that's where the accountability will be because there will be other opportunities, whether it's public or private, for those students that maybe didn't exist before. And then uh, one more question about this. Uh, there's been, uh, uh, you know, several public school administrators that have gone on the record being opposed to this for various reasons, but one of them is being that they already feel like some funding has been cut from uh, public education. I guess, what, what would your response be to some school administrators that are opposed to this? So in my 17 years now of being here, there's never been, I've never met any group in, in any front that's felt we've given enough money for whatever it would be, and I kind of make that as a side comment, but the point being, we are spending more money on public education today than we've ever spent in the history of this state. Whenever we put together our budgets, we always make sure that we can fully fund those commitments that we make. I remind everyone the last time there was actually a cut in education funding uh, was under Governor Culver when we weren't in the majority. So um, some people don't think, whatever the amounts are, I don't think will ever be good enough, but the point being that we are spending more today on K-12 education than we ever have. Um, if you look at that, it's nearly 50% of the entire state's budget. A lot of people want to say that this program, once fully implemented, is, is roughly $900 million um, that that will cost. I remind everyone that at that same point in time, if you look at that snapshot of that $900 million, at that same point in time will be around $15 billion, $15 billion in public education. So this isn't something that's intended to take away. This is uh, allowing us to make sure that there's choice um, for parents to best need this. And honestly, I don't see a scenario where there's mass exodus from public schools. And um, one of the arguments that continues to come up, and there's probably some truth to this, that if you have a significant amount of kids that want to leave, there clearly was a need for something and an alternative. So I think it proves its own self, proves its own point. But I don't see that being um, the case that there's going to be this mass exodus from the public school system. Also related to education, both the House and the Senate advanced some legislation uh, just yesterday that would restrict how schools deal with gender identity issues. That obviously for, has been kind of a hot topic here um, in the past couple of years as well. But uh, can you uh, explain this a little bit and what, what's all in this legislation? Yeah, and so uh, we have a couple different pieces uh, that are uh, floating around right now. The one that I think is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about that, John, that I think most relates to what parents expect from us would require that um, if there's any sort of gender identity uh, changes that a student would be making in the school system that that is information that should be shared with the parent or the guardian um, i do not see government as being the proper place for that information to all just be isolated and uh, parents and families kept out of loop of that conversation so that's one of the big pieces that we've really looked at to make sure that, again, and I think it fits in line with the things that we've been working on. You look back a couple years, we required in-person learning that empowered the parents to make sure their kids could have the opportunity if they chose to be in classroom. Um, we, we, we no longer required masks. You look at pieces like this, look at pieces like ESAs. I think the theme of that is going to be continuing to be to empower parents that they can best make these decisions. So the one dealing with gender identity and notifying of the parents, I think, is actually just very common sense for us and there shouldn't be a reason why um, we would keep that information from any of our students uh, uh, parent or guardian what else right now is being talked about in the Iowa house that uh, you think your constituents uh, should know about 
Yeah, right now we're really, uh, there's a lot of committee work going on. You know, we spent a lot of time um, and invested a lot of uh, hours and, and days into uh, understanding the ESA changes. And so now I would say that we've been about a week since, now that we're a week since then, we've really seen committee meetings really start to ramp up. So as things start to move out, I think you're going to see the legislature uh, act on more pieces of legislation that are more your typical pieces. But there's also some big things that exist. There's pieces with tort reform that are still floating around that are being looked at. There's some of those pieces with education to make sure we're empowering parents and also making sure we have more accountability as well and transparency for parents. So um, there's a lot of those committees are really starting to get up and fully running. So a lot of it's just the... uh, day-to-day activity of subcommittee committee meetings that's good and healthy for the process we're only about two and a half weeks away from our first funnel which is that means bills need to be out there out of committee of first um first origin so the session is moving along we're about 20 percent of the way done so it's time for us to keep uh, the the trains on the tracks and on that note what are your goals for the rest of the session well, I think, like I said, I think we've got a couple pieces of tort reform that are still out there. I think we, we have more we can do when it comes to uh, Board of Educational Examiners, for example. I think we need to explore alternative teacher licensure. Uh, right now, we face a teacher shortage all across the state. I think we need to provide more opportunities for people that would want to get into the classroom. We have some workforce issues that are out there that we started working on last year that we're hopeful to move forward that would really um, pr- that would provide scholarships for high demand. Uh, jobs at our universities, making sure that we're not just turning out degrees at the state's regents institutions, but we're turning out students that are in the degrees of in the fields that we need across the state to help fill these jobs and provide incentives to do that. So we've got a lot of things yet to uh, uh, try to tackle this legislative session. And I'm sure as we talk later in the year, there'll be uh, more and more things pop up on that list. All right. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else that uh, you'd like to share or that I didn't think to ask uh, before we wrap up here today? No, that's all. That's all I have. Uh, uh, just I'll leave you uh, and all the listeners with the uh, little Wolverines. Right. Right. John, we'll leave them with that. I, I, I wave to you every game. So you bet. <laughs> all right. That's House Speaker Pat Grassley. Thanks for the time and uh, best of luck here with the rest of the session. Thank you. First Bank Hampton's Newsmaker Program can be heard every Monday through Friday on 104.9 FM following KLMJ's News at Noon. To hear today's conversation in its entirety, visit RadioOnTheGo.com, click Newsmaker under the News tab. Podcast listeners can follow Newsmaker and listen to other broadcasts on demand by subscribing to the Radio On The Go podcast for free on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks for listening to today's Newsmaker Program presented by your friends at First Bank Hampton. Hi, this is Eric Reichertz with First Bank Hampton. If you're an agricultural producer, I'd like to extend a personal invite to our annual Ag Outlook meeting on Friday, February 3rd. We have Chad Hart with Iowa State coming to speak about the economic outlook of your crops, Andrew Pritchard, meteorologist with Nutrient Ag Solutions, talking about the upcoming growing season, and Doug Johnson, Ag Strategist, coming to speak this year on industry disruptors and marketing techniques. The meeting will be held in the basement of First Bank Hampton beginning at 9 and ending with a catered meal from Rustic Brew around noon. If you'd like to join us for the Ag Outlook meeting, please call First Bank Hampton at 641-456-4793 to make your reservation. First Bank Hampton is a member FDIC.